Hello everyone and welcome to podcast number 86 from the Wiggly Wiggler's Sofa with myself, Rachel and... Me, Richard. Way. Nice to see you, Rach. Nice, nice to see you, Rich. Yeah. yeah. You've got a. You've got. A, what's that cat doing on your lap? Well, he's. Uh, he's a little. In fact, he's very contented here. Yeah. But he is a little bit upset. Yeah, he's upset because his owner, master, away. and his mummy is away. Mum's away. Yeah, they're away so the, on the holiday. Big cat's away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yesterday I went into the office and Noah was on my chair in the office. So I, I kind, of, kind of grabbed hold of him and popped him on the floor. Anyway, I came back in there and Noah was on the chair again. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, looking uh, so for attention. I yeah, think right. not yeah. what you did to him. No, no, that's right. No, we, uh, we, perhaps we shouldn't mention that, but actually, what we, what we could do. But just for a bit of fun, I thought, oh, let's see, because we've got a lovely long sweeping corridor in our office, haven't we? Yeah. And uh, so Noah sat on the on the chair, all comfy. So I thought, all right, let's see if he can skateboard. <laughs> So I got there and <laughs> shot the chair down the centre of the office. So he was completely oblivious. He seemed quite happy to be shooting down the middle of the office there, up until the point they hit the corner of your desk. <laughs> oh, no. Poor Noah. And leapt from the chair and straight out the skylight. <laughs> <laughs> joke, listener, joke. Yeah, it's, I've, I've thought it's amazing how cats can, uh, can turn like that in mid-air. Yeah. You know, it's such a long fall. I don't think yeah. we should include this in the no. podcast. No, I, I, I no, was just thinking about the experience I had last time. If only I yeah. could turn like that. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he's a very um, mummy's cat, if you like. Yeah. When Heather and Farmer Phil are away, he is miserable, very miserable. He yeah. goes around the office whining and up here and whining. He does like attention. He's, and he's, so, he's certainly getting it now, anyway, yeah. hasn't he? He's, he's a, sitting he's here very cat. contented because when I go, all you'll do is just go back down the office and whine again. So, uh, oh, so whether that's play. a Burmese trait or not, I don't know. So, Rach... What have you been up to? You had a, a, a really good weekend, didn't you? Didn't uh, your yeah. little Gemma win a prize the first Absolutely. time? Absolutely. My little Gemma, who's not so little, who's yeah, yeah. <laughs> 21, actually came third, her best ever score in um, British Eventing, which she goes to quite often. She's a member of the British Eventing Club or Association, and uh, quite often we go and compete, and her best ever score was this weekend, and we came Yay! third! Yay! That's great, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? What a yeah, yeah, we came yeah. third, and prize money of £31. <laughs> so she, she must have been chuffed a bit, so. Ah, chuffed, real, real chuffed with that, yeah. So how much did it cost to enter the show? Oh, British eventing is very expensive. You have to be uh, a member. The annual membership is £110. Right. And then you have to <laughs> <laughs> pay your entry fee, yeah. and for the one that we attended that this weekend was £58. Right. Then you pay, <laughs> Then when you get there, you pay a £10 starting fee. Right. And so uh, it all mounts, it, it up, all it? mounts up and sponsors are mummy and daddy, of course. Right, right, <laughs> so, yeah. So not what you might call a profitable day. No, no, it's not a profitable day, not yeah, at yeah. all. No, you lose out every time. But the thing is, it's a horse that we've brought on ourselves. We've had her from a youngster. And this was a pre-novice at Clearbury Mortimer. Right. In eventing, you do three elements. You do dressage, show jumping, and then you go around a cross-country course. Right. At the end of it, your points are added up 
and the person with the least penalty points obviously is the winner okay um, yeah we came third fantastic so it's, well it's the best best ever score that we've had well done it's well chuffed with that that's superb and on that note right I've got a little uh, equestrian question to test you with this is uh, this is from a guy called Pete from Aberdeenshire now funnily enough Pete emailed us the other day just to I think he was referring to last week's podcast uh, I think I complimented Farmer Phil to say he was a really good communicator we'll be referring to Open Farm Sunday which of course is coming up now this week isn't it June yeah, the 10th it is Open yeah. Farm Sunday Open Farm Sunday next Sunday but he's got a question he says hi folks I'm angling for some free advice although you might be able to sell me something on the back of it I own a small holding up here in Aberdeenshire just a few acres on the side of a hill my wife is horse mad so something in common with you there Rach and consequently we have one Appaloosa think horse with Dalmatian spots a Shetland pony and a miniature Shetland we use straw as their bedding over the winter and I've now got two huge piles of mixed straw and dung happily composting beside a big hedge we don't have a lot of space and I need to get it composted down into something usable before the winter comes again and I have to build another pile it's fairly hot in the centre at the moment so something is happening uh, but not very quickly is there anything I can do to break it down quicker can I add anything do you sell any magic composting dust to sprinkle on? Well, I think, I mean, the first point I, I could make is that, in actual fact, because it's heating up fairly quickly in the middle, that's, that's ideal. It's all those kind of thermophilic bacteria getting to work on it, which is great. And actually, when it cools down, if you mix it again, then you tend to get more heating. So mixing it is going to accelerate the rate at which it decomposes, for starters. But you've got a neat idea. What's your experience? Yeah, we, we get quite a few questions about composting horse manure, and worms actually love horse manure. But of course what they don't like is the heated up bit in the centre. That doesn't suit them at all. So one of the best ways of composting it is to start a new fresh heap. I don't know, about a metre square, something like that. Put a kilo of worms into it. You can put them at various points around it. Don't have to put them all in one area. Just split them up and put them in. And then when you're adding to your muck heap, add to the side of the muck heap. So you're drawing it one way in effect. So what happens then is the worms compost the original stuff that they started off in, then they're moving across always to the fresh waste that you're putting onto the side of the heap. Right, okay. And so they're helping to stop it from heating up, really, by going to the fresh waste all the time. They'll leave behind the first stuff that you started off with, which is really nice composted horse manure, which can be spread back out onto the field again, which is really great. And then, of course, when you get so far, I don't know, say to the right, you then take the first bit away and then compost back. So you're zigzagging on the spot. Okay. And so that always works quite well. And I heard that at a conference that I went to in America where they had quite a chat on horse manure heaps because they have quite a few... Exciting stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, really. really, I go to high-brow events. I do indeed, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I I think that that answers Pete's question anyway. And good luck with that. The other thing I wanted to ask you, you've been saying that you've got uh, blue tits nests in your garden because this year I noticed on Spring Watch, Bill Oddie said that the blue tits have all hatched, you know, they've all finished. And then, in fact, I've got blue tits nesting at home as well in my bat box. So a, bat a, late, box. a late brood, yeah, I think yeah. the, the first brood were taken by great spotted woodpeckers in another box, you know, they managed to hammer the way through the nest, killed all, yeah. all the chicks, you know. And you've got blue tits nesting at yours as well, still, we haven't you? We have, yeah, yeah. We've got various brood boxes up, and each one of them this year has got a nest in. Sparrows, and one has got a blue tit family in there. Right, right. And my daughter Gemma has always climbed up the ladder just to see how they are, and I keep saying to her, stay away, stay away, yeah. because they don't like you, do they, messing about <laughs> no, and looking don't. in their box. But she yeah. said, I've got to know if they've actually out so up she yeah. goes up the ladder to have a look and they've all latched out now and they are blue tits there right, right. Um, but next to it we've got a big conifer hedge and I know people don't like conifer hedges but the birds 
that roost in that conifer edge yeah. are just phenomenal. I think that's probably one of the few uh, advantages of a conifer it edge. Probably the, is, the, the yeah. only thing yeah. that Leyland I do are probably you know uh, provide a good roosting yeah. space, quite an, a, cl- a closely tight knit yeah. barrier against wind and prevailing weather. So, yeah. other than that, yeah, yeah, you're right. You should uh, cut it down. Really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of times a day, I don't know how many, what the statistics are of how many times they go in and out feeding them, but you can look across there any time of day, and they are in and out, in and out. Yeah, it's a great sense of achievement. And in fact, this week, I did the same thing last year. Do you remember I went over to uh, Frankie Devereaux's to um, look at great tits? They had had some some great tits nesting in a cam box. And unfortunately, the mother bird got killed, probably by a sparrowhawk. Consequently, the eggs didn't hatch. And this year, they've been really fortunate and they've had great tits nesting in their bird box again, in the cam box. And the family's thriving, doing really, really well. So I went over there to do a little roving Ricardo interview, yeah, <laughs> and spoke to Frankie about her tits, which is, which is great. So was Lovely a, day good, out. Good evening, had by all. <laughs> yeah. So here's Frankie and her tits. So for the benefit of the listener, we're, we're watching a monitor. And it has three lovely little baby birds in it and uh, for those listeners who religiously listened to the Wiggly podcast for the last 12-14 months I finally got around to seeing Frankie's tits (laughs) (laughs) and they're great tits they're great tits And uh, so, uh, but it's it's, it's nice to come out. So, because you guys, um, I I came over to see you, um, well, about this time last year, I guess, in Hereford. Yeah. And uh, and you had a a cam box, and you said, "Come over, come over," because you've got a great blog, haven't you? A fantastic blog. Yeah, the veg cottage blog. Now it's changed a bit, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the birds go on there. So, oh, there's mum. Look at those mouths. The volume goes up when the yeah, (laughs) the parent comes in. There we go, she's off. They're gorgeous, Because last year they didn't live, did the blue tits that we wanted to look at, they didn't live, did they? Well, I've actually got the nest here. There we go. Oh, so there's, wow. there's the nest. Oh, there's that's the nest. They're around 11, 11 little eggs. Tiny little eggs. That's amazing. So that's the nest from last year's cam box. That tiny little nest, yeah, that's from the box last year. Because right, right. when we moved house, we had to take the box down. Oh, right. And um, I took it out, and, and, and they're, oh, still, they're still intact. That's amazing. So all those little eggs as well. So that little bird laid all those eggs yeah and uh, and probably got nailed by a well was a sparrowhawk I expect we th- yeah we think it was a sparrowhawk yeah. she just flew out one day didn't come back and it was awful because the male was, was calling for her for days yeah. but yeah, such a shame that was it last year so we had about a month of watching the, the nest being built the eggs being laid and all the excitement and the build up and um, no chicks unfortunately well, so this is lovely yeah no, this is great it's great, to, it's great to have that as well in yeah. fact I mean you know it's a tragic story but what a lovely little I showpiece is there any it's great. I mean, that nest is a square, square nest, <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's been lined with all sorts of um, different coloured wools. I know somebody had, must have thrown out a very lurid sort of carpet yeah. in, in town because it's got this <laughs> awful green and orange. Yeah. I mean, on, on the webcam, on the bird box cam, it's all black and white, so you, you just think it's moss and, yeah, and sure, yeah, natural yeah. things, and you get this thing out, <laughs> and it's full of nylon. And <laughs> that's great. That's a, that's a real trophy. <laughs> oh, superb. So these guys. So yeah, how long have you been here? You've been here four months, you said? Yeah, yeah. We just moved in at the end of January, so the first thing we did was put the bird box up. Right, right. 
and uh, and hey presto yes. they, they moved in we've had well we've had great tits we had we did have some blue tits looking in there as well and um quite a territorial sparrow he wanted that nest and could hardly get in it was quite strange because right. it, the, the bird was far too big for the hole right. but he would squeeze himself in and stand in there you know looking a bit surprised but he, you know, we really thought that the sparrow was going to be in there at one point, but then the great tits suddenly they just moved in and that was it. Yeah, they they yeah. built their nest really quickly, only laid six eggs, which surprised me. Right. Five of those hatched and were down to three. Two of them didn't survive, but they, they hatched when we had the, the sort of wet weather, after all the sunny weather, then um, then they hatched and there weren't many bugs about and I think that was what the you know, what was right. the problem. Could well have been, yeah, definitely. So they're just, they're almost two weeks old now, just under two weeks. Right. I, I think that when they don't look as though they're going to be much longer in the nest, though they're spreading, they're stretching his wings out now. Look, he's yeah. on to, oh, a bit of flapping going on. I know. That's amazing. So he's obviously sort of building up his wing muscles there. They do, and they look like little great tits now. You think, you sort of see them on the TV and you think, oh, that's it, they'll be off. But then the parent comes in and the parent's still twice the size. Yeah, yeah. And it's non-stop feeding. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit relentless for the poor old parent bird, isn't it? Yeah. yeah they're, they're, um, I mean, I don't know what the what the interview. Well, I suppose we'll see really what the interval is between feeding. Presumably, both parents are feeding. They are, and it, it does vary different times of the day. Sometimes it's it's every sort of minute or so, and then sometimes they'll go for quite some time without. But right, right. I think because there's only three of them, it's not quite as relentless as a as a big as a, as a you know. Quite possibly, and these chance these guys probably stand a good chance as well. You know, they'll be they'll probably be bigger and stronger when they and eventually so. they do get out from the nest box, and and then you'll see them chasing mum and dad around <laughs> the, the garden. I expect. We've got some blue tits in the other bird box that we had from Wigglys that we had on the allotment, and I brought that with us as well. And Nick says that he's rubbed the side of it, can hear chicks. Right. So we're going to lift it up on the weekend. Put it. Nick thinks that you put a mirror in the top, and then you can see how many chicks are in there. Oh right. So you lift the lid on the bird box, yeah. put a mirror in, and that you makes, can see. Uh, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> he's such a boy. Uh, only a twitcher would think of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be there with my camera for the blog. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, superb. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's a real treat. I'm glad I've come over anyway. I've got to, I'm glad this kind of all worked out. So, oh, they're, they're lovely. They're just cute little blokes. They're just delightful to watch. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. How far is the, the the bird box away from us now? Um, you can just about see it um, oh, up right, on the tree yeah, up there. There's yeah. a little white cable that goes to it. Ah, so. okay. Yeah, so the, the cable is quite discreet as well. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you, you don't really notice it. No, we could have, you know we can sort of tuck it away a bit more. The cat's meowing now as well. She's, yeah, she's yeah. noticed the bird. There's a great tip feed on the nuts as well out there. Do they go to the parents' bird feed on the nuts to take them to chicks at all? Or no, or we've never seen them. It's always something alive, wiggling, yeah, yeah. you know, either a worm or moths and things they bring in. That's a bit strange because you can see them. They look huge on the TV screen, flapping away. Yeah, yeah. But we've never actually seen them. I mean, the nuts are on a in a feeder, so they can't actually get a whole nut out. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, because there was a consensus at one time that baby birds would be choked by because if, if people were feeding peanuts um, in the springtime, their parents would take these whole nuts back to the chicks and then uh, and then the, the chicks would choke but no. I mean even the seed feeding birds you know like goldfish and stuff they still feed their young on insects yeah. don't they really yeah there's there's so. plenty of nuts around but they, we've never seen them on, on here do it what they have fed the young is that we had a fat ball thing 
and we noticed the robin was doing that. The robin was constantly on the fat, then feeding the young. When the young had fledged, he was feeding them the fat from the fat ball. So we've stopped doing that now. But the nuts, no, we've not had a problem at all. It's, it's always something wiggling and yeah, yeah, sort <laughs> of writhing about. Oh, that's super. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm really glad it's worked out. Anyway, I'd love to come over and thanks for that. And what, can you just remind us what your the address for your blog is? I do you know. I know. I know it's called Veg Cottage, but I've no. I can't. I can, it used to be allotment twenty one dot blogspot dot com. Right. And you can get onto the new one from that, but the right. new one has got them because blogs are becoming so popular now. They've all everyone sort of all the names have gone, so right, I can't remember right. what, the, what their web address is. I'm useless on that, so I just go to allotment twenty one dot blogspot dot com, right. and then there's a link from that to the new one. Because now we don't have the allotment anymore, it's all about the garden. Well, it's right. supposed to be about the garden, it's ended up being more about the birds. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, it's all part and parcel, isn't it? Oh, fantastic. Cheers, Frankie, thank you for that. Thanks. Oh, that was really good, Rich. So what else have you been up to this week? Oh, gosh, all, all, all sorts of things, a whole plethora of different things this week, Rach. But mainly the Hay Festival, because we've been lucky yes. enough to have the Hay Festival 11 miles up the road, which is great. Yeah. So I've been up there doing a few talks, a couple of talks a day about gardening for wildlife, mainly about worms, I have to say, because yeah. that's what the people are mainly interested in and they come along. But it's a great festival. You see some really interesting people up there. I went to see David Miliband, uh, Mark Linus and Jeremy Leggett talk about various kind of sustainable issues uh, mainly they were they were talking around a sustainable energy use you know the creation of energy rather than depending on fossil fuels and i know we had robin page in you know a few weeks ago and robin was talking about the pipeline there's a little extract on here which we'll be able to listen to in a moment strangely enough i was driving along the other day and i heard uh, daro brain or daro breen i think he's called he was stepping in for steve right in the afternoon and he'd been up to hay and he was saying about how this the pipeline a gas pipeline which runs from milford haven right the way through the herefordshire countryside so that we can you know, get gas from malaysia that's shipped over from malaysia and he was saying well, people were complaining about this pipeline he said what's the problem you know what's the problem it doesn't matter it'll all grow back when the pipeline's grown the pipeline has, has finished rather but he's missing the point really the point is really this is something that to mark linus said when he was talking um, with uh, david miliband that really what it's doing it's it's making the next generation have a reliance on fossil fuels and Jeremy Leggett then, of course, spoke up and said, well, yeah, of course, that, that's what it would do if we were going to be lucky enough to have fossil fuels for long enough to sustain the next generation. Where, of course, um, he's the great advocate. He talks about peak oil. You know, and he said that really, you know, chances are that oil's going to peak in the next 10 years. It's going to be far too expensive. Also, you've got ships coming across the ocean that have had the most amazing target for terrorist attacks and whatnot. So the whole thing is completely unsustainable. So it's not that, it, you know, that the pipeline is destroying the countryside as such, because, of course, it will grow back those aren't the main issues you know people really sort of missed the point so that was a really great debate i was, wasn't really particularly inspired by david miliband at all in no. fact like, he's such a politician and you kind of get the feeling that nothing's going to change you know he said about how the labor government had reduced greenhouse gas emissions and uh, since they've been in but of course they, the greenhouse gas emissions by and large have gone down by eight percent but co2 emissions which is the main contributor have gone up by one and a half percent since the labor government had come to power so all these things you know it's all sort of i mean it, the whole thing that david miliband is full of rhetoric really mm. it's slightly unfortunate he, he doesn't have any substance i was really disappointed you know <laughs> totally disappointed um politics, but it, politics. yeah oh it's such a shame it's such a shame you know yeah. these things aren't going to change you know we need to make these changes in the next sort of eight to ten years you know otherwise we're all well, scuppered yeah. um but uh, anyway should we uh, should we listen to robin page i know you've listened to uh, to robin before you went up to see him talk yep i did i saw him down in cardiff just over 12 months ago at a talk that he gave and um he, he was very good so oh, well, let's listen to what go, he's then. got to say about the pipeline Right, I'm really pleased that Robin's back again. Robin Page, 
really nice to have you with us. But there's something that's been bugging me, which I've been re- I'm really pleased that you've come and sat on the wiggly sofa so that I can ask you about it. Because Countryside Restoration Trust own Turnstone Court, don't they? They, they you bought it. Yeah, yeah. Which is a that wonderful is thing because yes. you've actually put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And said, I'm going to farm this like this, but instead of just telling a farmer what to do, I've bought it and I'm going to save it from uh, the potatoes that would have been all That's over right. it by now. We all I know. know that. If, if Philip had bought it, that would be all potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. We don't let the truth stand in the way of a good story, no. eh? No, absolutely. You anyway. Know, Gary Lineker would be there with his crisp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, that's all well and good. But I'm, I'm wondering about your attitude within farming and the community, especially when I read the Hereford Times, which says that Turniston Court Farm cannot possibly have a pipeline through it. Uh, and I wonder... How have you possibly come up with that idea when I think there's a lot of folk that don't agree with the gas line altogether, but putting that aside for just one moment, why is your farm any more special than anyone else's? And is it really because of the drains? Because the thing is, the drains were put in there to be progressive. And my father was a land drainage contractor and he drained the ground. And it's about progression. So how could you possibly say that my drains are very progressive <laughs> uh, uh, the, the turnstone drains are of great historical and archaeological importance to start with whether your father's drains are of importance i don't know perhaps they uh, will be in another hundred uh, years yeah, who knows uh, the important thing is there are two main issues one will the pipeline arrive will it cross turnstone yes it will because Big Brother has said it will. And uh, you must see this pipeline in terms of the deal that Tony Blair signed with Malaysia. It was a political fix to please the Malaysians. Environmentally and economically, it is outrageous uh, to transport fuel to Britain from halfway round the world is balmy. And remember, this is our Green Prime Minister. Uh, we're green for accepting this rubbish. It really is political playpen that he's in. And you must also remember too, uh, and then it's not a swear word, Zeebrugge is uh, a place in, in Belgium, is it? Apparently, they have the gear to take this liquid natural gas and they could then put it through the infrastructure already that exists into the east coast of Britain. And so why they haven't done that is a total mystery and it's all bound up in this thing that Tony Blair uh, signed which actually gives the Malaysian government a share in the shipping and also in Milford Haven and you must remember too that this pipeline which they call a pipeline it, it, it zigzags all about and so they've uh, they've done it as it is because it is going to store millions and millions of gallons or tons of this stuff and it's going to stop them actually building great store chambers um, so is your objection to the pipeline an objection to the pipeline or 
an objection to the pipeline coming through your farm, NIMBY? It, it's, uh, oh, I'm a NIMBY, of course I am, because uh, I'm proud to be a NIMBY. Yeah. Uh, not in my backyard, because my backyard is beautiful and it shouldn't come near my backyard. And people with backyards should actually protect their backyard, so I'm very proud to be a NIMBY. But realistically, if we take them to court and try and stop it, we'll be flattened because we know it will go through regardless. We have said we want compensation. <laughs> We're not an ordinary farm. That farm was bought because it was pristine. We were saving it, and we did it with money from people who gave us donations and so we're not a normal commercial farm we bought that farm to be pure uh, now i'll use a slightly odd example you know around here there are lots of pretty pretty ladies they look like beautiful virgins and when a virgin ceases to be a virgin she may still look beautiful but she's not what she was Turnerstone Farm is a beautiful farm and it was born to be beautiful. When we bought it, we were going to preserve that. When it's had a pipeline right across it, it might look green and reasonably nice afterwards, but it is not what it was. It is not a pristine saved farm. It is not the farm we bought. It is not the farm all our supporters and donors gave money to. It is a farm with a pipeline across it and we wouldn't have bought it. And so we said to the National Grid, we want a proper deal. And I have to say we have now a proper deal. The thing is, why have you picked a point in time to preserve, why have you decided? You know what, 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 what moment what? in time have you picked? 1933, 1890. Why is that moment in time the one that you want? And why is that right? Why is it about preservation and conservation, and not about actually sustainability and moving forward? Why is that? It drives me mad. Watch my lips. I am. And I bet you can't spell it biodiversity we have saved that farm for biodiversity there are lots of plant species there there is an ancient sward that hundreds of years of grasses and grass populations and flower populations it's taken generations and generations to develop that and we think that that is important from a biodiversity wildlife point of view very very important which when you add to the archaeology it is even mega important which when you add to the educational and visitor opportunities and the farming opportunities make it a little gem it is a gem that is good for the crt it is a gem for herefordshire because if you look at the whole farm, we want schools going around it. We want people to see the biodiversity, to see it, smell it, feel it, see the farm working, see the flowers blooming, hear the birds singing. It sounds corny, but this is what we want. Mm. You don't want it. I'm disappointed with you, Heather, that you don't want that, that you want Italian ryegrass and you want dead fields. Oh, yes, 2001, Blair's 21st century, is that what you want? 
Oh dear, you'd better go and stay with the Bee Gees. I think that's a little bit harsh because actually you put words into my mouth. And what I would say to you is that guy who dug those drains, do you think that he wanted it to stay exactly as it was? No way. He dug those drains. Don't you wag your finger. I will <laughs> wag my finger. It's my oh, podcast. You <laughs> nasty, aggressive he woman. Those, he dug those drains I've to progress that farm. How come you can't progress and be sustainable? I don't want Italian ryegrass. I want us to have a sustainable community that is developing farming using technology and science and not stuck in the dark ages. Well, I hope you listen to this podcast because you have just spoken a load of old tosh. Uh, And uh, what we've got there is a farm that can move forward on old pasture in a beautiful area and of benefit to modern Herefordshire because people will want to come and look and walk and see and schools will want to come and learn and they will be amazed at what is going on there and you know uh, you will be aware that the dear little water vole in the river door disappeared and so you'll say progress keep it out we don't want it back no this is fine modern modern actually Britain. i won't say that and um look let me put words into your mouth <laughs> and, and so we're now getting the water voles back that is fantastic presumably you're saying we're walking backwards because we're getting water voles that had gone back well we've also got a lovely flower there called a meadow saxifrage which is quite rare and I want to get them back in large numbers too and I expect that's a step backwards as well because you and your Italian ryegrass you sad woman (laughs) (laughs) I, I I want to ask a question because I take the view that the sale of a farm like Turniston Court you know, the CRT have bought it and that's what they want to do with it and that's fine, I'm wholly in favour of that but I'm interested that I think it was about 100, 120 years ago that the chap dug the trench royal and put in your Turniston drains as it were yeah, yeah. presumably when he did that he was at the cutting edge of technology and I'm interested that when does things that we as land managers do rightly or wrongly at what point do they become things that are valuable to keep rather than desecrations of the landscape. I'm not saying that what he's done is a desecration of the landscape, I'm just interested that if I push a hedge out or plant a hedge today at what point is that significant archaeologically, positively or negatively in his day I expect that the local neighbourhood say what the hell is he doing? He's laid waste to that strip across the middle of that farm, he's dug a big ditch and there's water going in funny places he doesn't know what he's on about and then obviously history has shown that in a, a wet and heavy area of the door valley he actually did know what he was doing about and it was actually probably quite a good thing and now it's archaeologically significant and i'm interested to know at what point you go from being one to the other first of all you learn from history and so uh, leave his stuff there i i think it is a learning process for us and those old wet meadows and floodings um, that is all historical and interesting but we take it a stage further and I believe that by doing what we are doing that we are still at the cutting edge of farming because at the basis of what we do it is still how to farm with wildlife 
in the 21st century. And the sort of things that I would like us to actually develop at Turnerstone in due course are things such as in the east of England on cereal farms we have grass margins and those grass margins across fields and round fields are the reasons that we've got barn owls back um, and we've got the brown hair back and I would actually like grass margins in grass fields um, or across grass fields so that you actually have uncut grass edges to your meadows and so the wildlife that is actually getting uh, chewed up by machines or by cows or whatever has a chance to hang on and so that you're actually bringing wildlife back to grass farming uh, in a way um, that hasn't really been tried as far as I'm aware Uh, and so to me that is cutting edge farming because we still want the farmer to make a profit we still want him to make hay we still want him to make silage as long as it's not too early Uh, and we want to do other things and experiment in grass fields uh, and in pasture farms so that you get grasshoppers that you get meadow saxifrage and then you've got areas for your curlews and so you're actually then uh, presenting the person who buys food with food from a wildlife friendly farm and then the challenge is how do you sell that produce at a premium so you're saying to the customer you're buying good food and you're buying curlews and you're buying lapwings and it's your money that you're paying for that that is paying for wildlife and that is one of the challenges of Turnerstone. we're not up to speed i don't believe yet but that is what i want us to do and selling your food at a profit and keeping birds singing and curlews nesting I think that is very much cutting edge today as we're losing species left, right and centre. Great stuff. Well, nice to hear Robin's voice again. Uh, before we go, Rach, have you been watching Spring Watch? I have been watching Spring Watch, yes. Did yeah, you see it last I night? I did, I did. I, I saw it last night. It was interesting that uh, Bloody got down by the river there, you know, and he's watching that otter. And it was, it, what, what I thought was amazing was that he said he'd never seen an otter before, apart from uh, perhaps uh, he'd seen them off the Shetland Isles or something around there. Yeah. But... Um, they're, they're doing really well. I know we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but they're doing well on the Y. You know, they have quite big territories. Yeah, we have mentioned it um, a little while back, probably around about sort of February time, I think right, it was, we right. mentioned it. Um, some had been spotted down by the River Y by the bridge there. Yeah, yeah. So obviously yeah, they yeah. are doing They are, they're around. And I, I mean, as a fisherman, you see these things all the time. And, I, I, you know, I've had them literally walking within sort of a couple at night, walking within a, a couple of feet of my, from where I've been sort of ensconced in, 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 in a whole bunch of reed mates. And uh, it's amazing because they'll come up and they won't know you're there you know you're sat there quietly just watching the tip of your rod as a little isotope on the end of it to, to, to tell you whether you've got a bite or not and then suddenly there'll be this kind of <laughs> a sort of warning whistle you know and it just went by your feet and off to go you know because they don't know you? you're there no that yeah. wasn't you falling in the river was no, it? no that was a lot of so okay. but uh, yeah, it, was, it was funny last night you know you got down there's oh he's it was kind of having sort of multiple orgasms wasn't he really oh, great. Right? So, this otter, which is which is great but i did i do i did quite like i did quite like spring watch i love it i does think it's great does your mic like spring watch as well it, oh god it is 
very humble at seeing Kate Humble. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Humble is his thing yeah. for the evening. Yeah, the only birdie watches it yeah, for you. The only birdie watches it is for Kate Humble. Yeah. And, and like the owls ate one another last night, he could have eaten Kate Can Humble. Can we that? Yeah. <laughs> That's really amazing, isn't it? I mean, nature is cruel, you know. Nature's so cruel, isn't it? It's a I bit mean, surreal, wasn't it? There was three nests on there, which they'd had a bit of cannibalism had gone on in each one, hadn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I, you know, it's, it's a great technique for survival, I suppose. Mm. You know, if mum can't go out yeah. hunting because it's too wet, then, then eat your siblings. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I think there's... Why, well, you think I'm the size I, of I think there are average. lessons to be learned from that <laughs> in a human society. Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely, well, Fantastic. Yeah. So are you gonna, is it on tonight again? It, it is on. It's, it, I think it's on every evening during the weekdays. Right. But, but it is a good programme because it, it brings into your home nature. It does. And it brings into everybody's home nature. I think it's um, a good... Because even though, even though we're, you know, we're carrot crunchers, you know, we're real bumpkins, we are. there are things that I often learn from watching it. You, know, Definitely. you, kind of, you do pick things up all the time. Yeah. It's really worth, worth watching. But it is kind of entertaining. I mean, yeah. having said that, if some instances you're better off being outside and, and watching things for real rather than watching yeah, the box. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it was great last night. Super yeah. Well, Mike was inspired to put up an owl box from it last night. So, ah, well, so that's there a you bit, are. Yeah, so that's brilliant. A good oh, good on him. Yeah. yeah, good on him. That's great. I wonder what uh, the Inspire Farmer Phil to put up an owl box. <laughs> No, he's into his pigs at the moment. Yeah, so. yeah and actually, it was interesting about the pig thing because you, you, I, mean, I know you mentioned about uh, about you, you mentioning about the fact that you had some Gloucester old spots and have really going to town on you. We did. It. I know these things. What it seems like, what goes round comes round, mm. and I do these things. And we had some pigs. Decided we were going to have some pigs and and grow these youngsters and um, eat them and all the rest of it you yeah, know yeah. the sort of Tom and Barbara thing yeah. and we did it and of course but my trouble with my husband is whenever he gets something you've got to breed from it all the time rather than let it do its purpose but he didn't get away quite well so with me did he um, so anyway we got we these six pigs. or seven no 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 no, no 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 yeah. no no <laughs> no several litters of them no <laughs> just the one yeah, yeah. Uh, so he got the pigs he fattened them and we ate them they were great and he bred more and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with the piggies at our place was we've got cattle and their piggies took up too much space in the shed and we couldn't turn them out on the ground because they dig it up and make quite a bit of mess and we hadn't got that much space for them. So we decided that the piggies weren't sustainable at our place and um, by keeping them in the shed and feeding them corn, the meat had a lot of fat on it, a lot of fat. Right. So obviously we were doing something not quite right. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, what goes round comes round. And at the time, Hevson said to me, what? What are you doing? She said, keeping pigs. Honestly, he said, you're like Tom and Barbara. Yeah, yeah. And what happens? Several years later, yeah, I hear yeah, on like, last week's podcast, it ain't that pigs funny. are coming to Lower Blakemere Farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Go. So eat your words, Heather. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there we are. Brilliant. All right, that's lovely, right? Yep. we? I think that's a wrap. You know. Yeah, we'll, we'll I think that's really good. It. Okay. So it's uh, it's bye from me, listener. And it's bye from me. Bye. Bye.